Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Hey, it's Doug Gottlieb. Welcome into the All Ball Podcast, where all we talk about is ball. Going to talk about ball. Um, I should point out that uh, I'm currently crafting an article for The Athletic on the draft this guy, don't draft that guy, kind of like in the uh, eat this, not that mode. You know, you know that those articles you see, there's actually a magazine, I believe, eat this, not that, guys that you should take a bite out of, guys that you should pass on. Um, I'll get to a couple of those names a little bit later as the NBA Draft Combine is ongoing. Should point out that one of the guys that I think is going to get a lot of discussion, and frankly, in the top seven, eight, I know there are thoughts that he'll that that the floor for him would be somewhere like Cleveland. Trey Young is a guy that's going to be polarizing, going to be discussed. I would pass on Trey Young and take Colin Sexton, for example. I don't know if you saw their hand measurements, their height. And, and I know if you sit there and go, like, wait, why? what is your issue with Trey Young only being six foot and a half inch and Colin Sexton being the exact same height? Differences, Colin Sexton, longer arms, wider wingspan, and more than anything, far more athletic and competitive at the defensive end of the floor. And I, I think that though Sexton is not the passer of Trey Young, Trey Young has a lot of skill. In an empty gym, in a workout, can really pass, can really shoot, can really handle. But in the athletic uh, realm of the NBA, boy, he struggles to cover. I mean, just he can't guard anybody. And, yes, he's up to 177, which means, you know, once you start playing, you'll lose some of that weight and you get down into 172s, which is still light and slender. I would guess that some of this is just man muscles and maturity, and he'll top out somewhere in the 180 sort of range. But uh, being only six feet tall, which is a couple inches, an inch and a half shorter 
these six foot and a half inch bare feet where Steph was six foot two. Steph Curry's a freak of nature. He's a once in a lifetime, one in a million, and he's also a better athlete than Trey. Um, my fear with Trey Young is he's going to be thrust into a situation, and the way he's always played is being Trey Young, taking, you know, contested deep threes, trying things in transition, trying things in the half court, and the way the NBA is evolving. And I think you're watching the evolution of the NBA before our very own eyes. If you're a smaller guard and you're not tough and you're not physical defensively, and sometimes even when you are, you're at a severe disadvantage because of how teams play. Because so many teams want to switch things, because of the overall size and length of the league, uh, yes, skill does matter. Absolutely matters. But skill can be developed, whereas size, strength, toughness, you can't, these are not things that are developed. These are things you either have or don't have. And, you know, I'll just tell you, I'd, I'd take Colin Sexton ahead of Trey Young because I think he has a chance to be a dynamic all-star caliber point guard who's also a leader. Trey is Trey's a lot of things that are very good. He's not a bad kid in any way. I have zero bad things to say about him as a person. But he's also not a get-behind-you get leader. He's kind of a creation of the... Um, I don't want to say YouTube generation, but the social media generation, right? Somebody tweets him something nice, it's retweeted. There's pictures of him with everybody. Like he kind of you know, he grew up with his dad as, as a player in, in Oklahoma City as they got a team and going to games and playing in all these tournaments and whatever. N- not all of that stuff that he has been able to do in this rise has been well-received by other players. So uh, there's a guy that I that I, I pass on and I would take a Colin Sexton as opposed. That article will be coming out in The Athletic. Let me get to what we've seen so far in the NBA Conference Finals. Let's start with Celtics and the Cavs. I've said this many times on radio, but I'll say it again here on this pod. Um, some of it I do fault LeBron for. I mean, look, you have over 40 and you have a triple-double in Game 2. It's hard to go like, hey, that guy didn't play well. There are many things he did. I mean, the start of the game was incredible. But you you have to, one, have that reserve for the fourth quarter. And whether he's being worn out or whether he doesn't want to carry the team, the fact is that he played the second, third, and fourth quarter kind of all the same. And that that's what was missing in the finals last year. So while statistically he was ridiculous, ridiculous, right? 42 points and a triple-double in game two on the road. He he was incredible. But the reality of it is that if you want to know what's missing from those of us who are like, you know, I like Jordan a little bit better, is I don't know if Jordan would have been able to have the 21. I mean, yeah, I know Jordan could have had the, the 21 in the first quarter, but I I always knew that Jordan was going to bring it in the fourth quarter, was going to try and just carry a team in the fourth quarter. And LeBron goes through stretches where he does, whether it's out of fatigue or or – or age, um, or just that he likes to dime people up and and sometimes just facilitate. Whatever it is, that team collapsed. You know, obviously, third quarter, they were outscored 36-23. But the fourth quarter, there wasn't that that kick from LeBron. He got Greg Monroe, got him going, got an and one. I know he's struggling some from the free throw line, so maybe that's one of the reasons he doesn't drive as much. But it's really interesting that LeBron goes from he had the eye of the tiger in the first quarter where he's like, man, this dude might get 50 in the quarter. 
to the fourth quarter, he just kind of played. And there is something weird about the chemistry of that team. Now, look, I think a lot of it is personnel-based. I think the biggest flaw in how the Cavs are not only constructed, but also the lineup that they choose, is this. You're operating in such fashion that the most important thing is space for LeBron. Hey, let's play George Hill. Let's let's get Kyle Korver. Let's have Kevin Love. Why? Because they can all really shoot. Let's have J.R. Smith. And then if we have one rebounder, one defender, it's going to be Tristan Thompson. Like that in its construction is flawed. You look at the Boston Celtics, and Marcus Mart may step into shots like he's a shooter, but he's not a great shooter. Terry Rozier is not a great shooter. But what do they have? Incredible defensive quickness and toughness. Incredible defensive quickness and toughness. Now, Jalen Brown, I mean, like, look, if you saw him play in college, you're like, no way is he going to be this good a shooter this soon. But he shot the ball exceptionally well. What he does have is great defensive athleticism, length, and a little bit of underrated toughness. Al Horford, ton of toughness. Semi Ozerle, a lot of toughness and strength defensively, playing like an undersized four. I mean, look around at what they're doing. And if you watched Brad's teams at Butler, they were always super, super physical. And then you look at how he and Danny have put together this team. It's been built based upon the idea of defensive quickness, athleticism, uh, the ability to switch, get into people. Whereas Cleveland, knowing that Boston doesn't have as much skill shooting the basketball, they get caught in bad switches. They just have bad athletes. And those same veteran players that normally you would turn to and think, this is a guy that's going to make plays in the fourth quarter, in a big game, in the third quarter of an NBA playoffs. They just can't contain the ball. If you can't guard the ball, and all of a sudden you only have one guy who can create shots in the whole team, you're kind of screwed. Now, now I don't think that Cleveland uh, goes down without a fight. I do think they win a game in Cleveland, maybe two. But I think those inherent flaws will become obvious when they return to Boston, probably one game in Cleveland during this year. Game three is one they probably win. Game four probably decides if this series becomes a five-game series or if we go seven. That's that, that's that's kind of the tipping point. And then for LeBron, I do think you have to stop if you're the Lakers and take a, take a breath and realize there's a lot of great things LeBron brings to you. There's a class. There's an elegance. There's a level of preparedness personally that he has, but he doesn't practice. Uh, at this point in his career, he doesn't, he, he doesn't operate well in a ball-moving type of offense. He doesn't defend with nearly the same level of possession-to-possession intensity that he did previously. And honestly, based upon how teams play now, he's not as effective a defender. Remember, what you could do with LeBron back in, you know, you go back to before everybody played four out, one in, or four out with a roller, or five out. You could put LeBron kind of on your power forward and he could float and block shots and get steals and occasionally switch on to guards. He doesn't move as well now. He's still very, he's still super athletic. But just again, for LeBron James, he's not as athletic as he used to be. And sometimes those switches, he's not as good. He's not really as good as containing the ball as he used to be. So kind of like offensive basketball has passed Carmelo Anthony by. Defensively, the league is, he can still switch things. But he's not as good at, his, at it as he used to be, nor would most people, considering how many times he played in the league. So the question is, like, if you're L.A., I guess you have to take him. But do you really want him as opposed to Kawhi, who's right in the prime of his career if he's healthy, or 
you know, hell, look around and go, a Paul George, who's younger, he's not LeBron James, but the two, Kawhi and Paul George might end up working out better than LeBron, who has to play one way, isn't going to move as well defensively, and the ball does stop when he gets it. It's not like you're going to sit LeBron James down in the fourth quarter, right? It's going to be fascinating to see what happens. Then you have Houston that I thought played really well. I thought showed great toughness and resilience and decided they weren't going to be punked the way they were in game one. That said, it's only one game in the series. Now, some of the old problems with the Golden State Warriors came to a head. They're a high turnover team, and that got them uh, that got them playing from behind. Steph Curry continues to struggle. I think he'll do better at home. Am I buying that he's not healthy? I would say he's hurt. He's not injured. Injured, you can't play. Hurt, put some ice on it, some Robitussin on it, and get back out there. And then Clay Thompson wasn't good. But I, the, the big part to me that's missing is Draymond Green's been really ineffective as a scorer for the most part in the regular season and in the playoffs. If Draymond's not hitting shots, now all of a sudden the court shrinks. You know, play Andre Godala in a zone. Play Draymond Green in a zone and simply push out on the other players. Kevin Durant's still going to get his because he's seemingly unguardable. But if you can limit the good looks of Steph Curry, if you can limit the good looks of uh, Clay Thompson, and then you can rebound with them, run off of their turnovers, you give yourself a chance. So it's not a surprise that Houston won. They shot the ball well, but it wasn't like they made 25-3, you know, 25 out of 40 or something crazy. They shot it well. I thought a lot of it was their defense, the rebounding, some of their toughness, and James Harden did come off the ball some. I still think the Warriors win the series, though, because I think P.J. Tucker is going to have to shoot the ball well three more times or so in order for them to win the series, and I don't see that happening. Just the reality of it is that's not who P.J. Tucker is. Let's welcome in to the All Ball Podcast. He played at UCLA, product of John Muir High School in Pasadena, California, same high school that produced um, Stacey Ogman and Jock Vaughn, among others. Ryan Hollins joins the show, 10-year NBA vet. Let, let's start with what happened most recently, Ryan. What's your reaction to Houston dominating the Warriors last night? Well, they just saved face. <laughs> you know, everybody talk about sweep, getting the brooms out, the series is over. I, I don't think they have a chance, but I, I just didn't want to see him go out like that, man. The second round of the NBA playoffs was embarrassing. We saw three five ones in one sweep, man. I, I just want to see a good series. Let's watch some basketball. I, I tend to agree with you. Um, Steph seems to have struggled in games one and two. I think some of it is they're going at him on as many possessions as possible, trying to find the find who Steph's guarding. And go, that, that wears on anybody. Some think he's not healthy. He says he's healthy. What's your assessment of Steph Curry's offensive struggles? Well, one thing against game planning for Steph, it, he always amazed me for the best shooter we've ever seen ever in the game of the NBA. He finds a way to get open, and that's because he runs. He never stops moving. He's always getting screened for. He's got the ball in his hand. And he's hindered most by his movement, by his running. And obviously, sometimes the greatest defense is your offense. And every time they see him on the floor, they've got it. They've got the green light. And, Doug, you know this from playing ball. They're not forcing it at Steph. They're moving the ball. They're letting it come organically. And then it's full-out attack mode. And that's really hard for him to guard. Do you think he's healthy? No, he's not healthy. 
I mean, he's healthy enough to play, but he's not He's not feeling it. He doesn't have any pop in his step. You know, when you come back from injury, uh, you, you don't feel your pop yet. You're just kind of out there. That's what you're seeing from Steph. But he's going to feel a whole lot better coming home to Oracle, man. You know that. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I don't doubt that at all. I mean, like, look, P.J. Tucker hadn't hit shots like that most of the playoffs. He hit shots. We know Golden State turns it over a ton. They turn it over a bunch early, which allowed Houston to kind of to, to get a lead. Um, the, one of the interesting parts is that Kevin Durant continues to dominate, and yet um, it doesn't. You know, he dominates in game one, dominates in game two, and yet the results are different. What's your assessment of Kevin Durant in terms of how he's actually playing? So let's break this down. Let's break this down, Doug. The team switched roles in game one. You saw Harden taking a bulk of the shots, everybody else standing. Yep. And Houston took a page out of their game plan and said, well, okay, Kevin Durant's unstoppable. We're going to stay home. We'll play him straight up, and we're going to force him to drive. We're going to force him to finish on double moves. And when he catches the ball, we'll call these Durant moves, Doug, because he's seven feet and he shoots the ball at the top of his peak, and he's pretty much unguardable. So they're, they're crowding him. You saw them literally putting their hands on him and saying, go get a dunk, go drive to, to the basket, and we'll chase you from behind. Well, we're going to take your twos versus threes. And in game one, he was very efficient. He catch, turn, and shoot. Game two, he had to put the ball on the floor, and a lot of those other guys on Golden State didn't touch the ball, and that's not Golden State offense. Yeah, no, it's, I, saw, I saw the exact same thing. It's it's And, look, we saw some of that even in the, in the Celtics series in that – you know, they were staying home a lot more kind of in game two when LeBron was going nuts. And, uh, and, and you know, at, at some point you also you get exhausted from going one-on-one. Like I thought game one, James Harden's not a good defender, and he, sometimes he doesn't have energy yeah. for it. But then when you're going one-on-one every time down the court, you're going to have no energy to play defense, and then they're nope. attacking with the defensive end. <laughs> Doug, are you agreeing with me? Yeah. Because I've always felt like you were crazy with a couple of your takes, but I, we're seeing eye to eye today, my man. <laughs> which 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 takes are crazy? You say a couple of crazy things, Doug. You I, you you've thrown them out. You've thrown them out, go, man. Go, so I'm, go, hey, I'm just owning it, my man. <laughs> go. Where, where are they? You, go go. Feel free. You know, feel feel free. Um, okay, so I I do get from the sound of your voice though that it becomes a different series once we go back to Oakland. Why is that? You're home. Uh, nothing like having your fans behind you. Uh, I know from playing against Golden State in the playoffs, they just run a little bit faster. The shot's going, you know, much better. Before you're turning your head, those dudes are racing down the floor. And just the pace of the game. Like, you know this. Watch the pace. Watch the movement. It's the difference between you playing on your heels and you attacking down the floor. You know, once you, even if you score on those guys, they're checking the ball to half court and getting layups, and they've got guys that run and spread to thin on the defensive end, and at home, there's just, a, there's just a different energy, man. All the way back to, you know, Donnie Nelson and Baron Davis and those guys get up and down the floor. It's just something in that arena, man, that I can't explain. And, and I, I'd say also the officiating changed a little bit. You know, they, they did a good job of bumping Steph, uh, and, and, you know, when he was trying to finish, they didn't make any of his finishes um, easy. Whereas when, you, when you're in Oakland, some of those – fouls some of those get called foul as opposed to letting them play like they did last night is that fair oh absolutely you know it's so like the irony like i know there's a coach at home driving his hair out going you're letting them drive to the basket you know and since we were young it was always contest the jump shot but 
both of these teams shoot at such a high clip that you're almost forcing the drive. You're saying Harden, no step packs. You're saying Curry, you know, no no step back, no crossover through the legs threes. And you're saying drive to the hole because your two is a worse shot than your contested three. This is a new generation of basketball. Isn't that amazing? Like, you're not old enough. I, I think you came in at the tail end of the disappearing mid-range game. They used to always – my era it was like, man, yes. you got to develop your no, mid-range, no, game, mid-range, mid-range game, mid-range game, mid-range game, right? Yes. <laughs> and then, and so now, now it's like, dude, don't we don't want really like you can take a mid-range jump shot, but you better make it, uh, uh, as uh, as opposed to get to get to the rim or kick out for a three. And then the other part is, and I pointed this out on the radio show going back to yesterday. The, I think the biggest change in the NBA is you go back for the last sixty years. A pick and roll, mm-hmm. The idea of a ball screen or pick and roll was to get a little on a big in the low post and throw the ball into a big, right? And yeah, then and yeah. then pl- and then you had to double team or that guy's going to go score. Now it's the opposite. Now you want the same ball screen, but it's because you want the big on the little out on the floor so that you had that yeah. mismatch and then you can get in the lane and create havoc. And, and Doug, I swear you're reading my notes because I also remember that situation. Okay, well. I was a big who could always switch one through five. That's why I wore 15. I'm a two by head a little bit. I enjoyed guarding guards or whoever in the perimeter. And I said, why don't we switch more? And the coaches always get on me and say, well, we don't want the guard to have to box out the big man. But now when you pick your poison because these teams shoot at such a high clip, you gain rebound, you get out and run, and you make multiple efforts. And it's almost like a bad look. Like, like Doug, are we really saying that layups are bad looks in the NBA? <laughs> Like that's how well these teams score. Yeah, not not layups, post ups. But like like right? Like it used to be work on your post moves, work God, well you gotta work on your post moves. That like, yeah, post ups <laughs> actually aren't that efficient a shot. Unless you have a dunk, kick that sucker out. Like it's now yes. you now you play like the Warriors play out of the post where they're a great split team, right? You hit the guy in the post yes. and now you go screen for each other. They almost never look to score in the post. No, 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 they don't. And the only one who right now it's seemingly messed them up is when they got the ball to Tarant. Yeah. That's the first time I ever saw Golden State start standing. And then I look on the other end and Houston is flaring. They're cutting. They're diving. They, they got all this action going on and Harden passing the basketball. We're going, what the heck is this? <laughs> What's the matter with the Cavs? You know what? Chemistry. I'm going to give it chemistry. And I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you one big name. Kardashian. <laughs> no, we're not, not going to do that. But seriously, uh, Tristan Thompson is the missing piece. And I know we can talk about all this small ball NBA shooting threes and what they do well and, and how it helps. But LeBron James is a transcendent talent. And in today's NBA, he allows you to play Tristan Thompson. And when Tristan Thompson's not on the floor – Cleveland's not that good of a basketball team. Why? He erases your mistakes defensively. He can show out and guard a guard in today's small ball generation of basketball. And when you chuck up a bad shot or you don't have anything going, he can create offensive rebounds. So LeBron James allows Tristan Thompson to play, and he also makes Kevin Love a whole lot more comfortable on the floor. I played with Kev. And I know Kev doesn't want to be down there blocking shots and, you know, guarding guys on the block. You know, he wants to run in and get some free rebounds. 
and he, you know, he wants to worry about scoring, and now he's got to do more than expected. And you see Boston really taking advantage of that. Yeah, I, I would say though that as much as Kevin Love doesn't want to play the five, he likes to play the four. Um, the fact is that he a lot of, against a lot of teams he has a better mismatch when he's playing the five as to when he's playing the four. To where you know he can. I mean that's one of the reasons that they couldn't play Valanciunas against him in Toronto is because he's playing twenty five feet from the basket and Valanciunas wants to guard the rim. I, I the one thing I think they might want to consider doing is establishing Kevin kind of at the low post, playing through him a little bit more as opposed to you keep playing through LeBron James and kind of like we talked about with Harden in game one and Durant in game two, you, you get exhausted, you get worn out, and you get nothing from them at the defensive end and the team starts to stand. Is is that a way? How do they create more offense? Because it doesn't feel like George Hill can get a step and everybody else is just kind of a shooter that they have that they're putting out there. Do you, do you play through Kevin Love? What, what's the adjustment you make outside of just playing Tristan Thompson? See, see this is where I say that you're crazy because I, I don't think you post up Kevin Love. Kevin is a crafty scorer, and in this series, it's not Valanciunas. It's Al Horford who's actually comfortable, you know, screening out, chasing a guy off the three-point line, guarding different positions. This is a poor matchup for Kevin. But I do agree, you got to put him in positions to be successful. You can throw Kevin Love at the elbow and let LeBron cut, run some offense through him. I agree, you've got to get some type of playmaking ability out of somebody other than LeBron. And, you know, when Kevin gets the ball on the block, he's one of the greatest passes I've ever played with. You know, I remember diving to the basket and him throwing that thing behind his back, you know, and he'd be for a nice dunk or out in transition. So, you know, maybe take a page out of Golden State's book, like you said earlier, Doug, and, you know, run some split action, get some cutting going, you know, just let LeBron rest a little bit. But I don't think Kevin Love on the block as a scorer, as a scorer, really helps you because they're poor matchups. And if you notice, you know, when they switch out, Jalen Brown guard them. You know, Tatum can guard him on the block. Marcus Smart. How is that, so how is that possible? Kind of up. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not disagreeing with you. How is that possible? How can Kevin Love be guarded in the low post by Jalen Brown? That seems that 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 doesn't that seem as he gotten has he regressed as a post player because he's worked so much in his perimeter game? Like, dude, Jalen Brown should not be able to guard Kevin Love down low, should he? Well, let's not forget also Kevin's not an incredible athlete, so he's got to beat you with craft. And these guys are are allowed to put their hands on him. You know, they're getting physical with them. You know, what they're doing is they're forcing Kevin Love to his baseline spin, and he's going up with his left hand. And because you're not a, when you're not as strong to your left hand, Doug, you use your physicality. And those guys have had a year to mature in the league, and they're strong enough and athletic enough that they're kind of contesting that left hand jump hook of Kevin, you know, seeing it getting put back in his face. And, you know, the NBA playoffs are about efficiency. And if you're not scoring at a high clip, and you're not defending, what are you doing on the floor? So he's got to find ways because the jumper's not going to work against those guys, and he's not necessarily jumping through the roof against them. So, you know, maybe he's got to be more patient. Maybe he's got to establish something else, but that's never really been Kevin's bread and butter. But I, I, I hear you. you got to get something going to the basket. I think there's crafty ways of doing it, and I don't think just giving him the ball on the block, he's that good to get it done, even against a Brown or a Tatum. But I, I hear you, Doug. How's Boston doing this? I mean, I, listen, I I get that you still have I – mean, you have Jalen, but he's still really young. You got Jason Tatum. He's still really young. Like, the, the playoffs is supposed to be about veteran dudes – and you don't have Kyrie, you don't have Gordon Hayward, and you're you're up two games to none. How are they doing this? 
still credit Brad Stevens. This is where I credit him. Because we haven't seen a close game from these teams. And in a close game is where you really see how young they are. In a tight finish, when you got to figure out where your offense is coming from, now you're seeing where's Kyrie Irving? Who's going to manufacture a shot? What they've done, when you watch these games, they're punching those third quarters so hard as if it's an end of the game. And they're giving themselves a 10-plus point buffer. You know, they're coming back because, you know, they don't want to wait until the end of the game. So amazing strategy from Brad Stevens and guys like Al Horford and Smart who have been there before telling the young guys, look, we got to go now. We cannot wait. We're not that good of a team. And LeBron's so far behind, it's kind of like, you know, there's not much he can do in these first two games. Ryan Hollins joining us. All right, so uh, now we go back to Cleveland, the home crowd, the ability to be physical. Do we go back 2-2 when we go to Boston, or is Boston able to get the 3-1 lead in your mind? No, I, I think we get 2-2. They're a different team on the road. They're youth shows. And I, I tell you one thing, this is the do-or-die type next two games for Cleveland. And the hardest thing that I've ever seen and I've never been a part of, and I remember veterans like you know Paul Pierce and, and Dirk and Garnett telling me, hey, young solid, this is going to be a different game because their backs are against the wall. And that fight-or-flight type of human instinct kicks in. Either you give up and you lay down like Toronto did, or you fight with all your might. And that's what you're going to see from Cleveland in a sense of a closeout game. So I see them making this thing 2-2. And honestly, Doug, I don't know how you feel about this. I think this will be LeBron's greatest feat and greatest challenge ever if, if he gets by this Boston team. Even though they don't have Hayward and Kyrie Irving, is it because they're down two games to none and because of how they looked in one and two, that's how you feel? I look more at his Cleveland team right now. I look more at that depleted team. I look more at the lack of chemistry. I look at more of what they lost and what they didn't gain, you know, in these trades because they brought in young players. They they didn't they brought in some spring chickens. They didn't bring those Vilio vets in who'd be, you know, going and getting it done playoff time. You know, I bet they could have used some D weight now, at least for one game. <laughs> no, I, I, I it's in, I actually it's funny you bring up D Wade because while the trades help them in the regular season, it's clearly hurting them in the postseason. I just don't know if they could have gotten to this point in the postseason if not for having, a, you know, considering the path that they were on and the way in which LeBron was feeling and playing. And, like, look, he had the lowest plus minus in the league for seven weeks there or six weeks there. Uh, obviously, he wasn't. But it's crazy because, well, though those guys weren't helping him then, they probably would have helped him more now. That that's that's fair, right? That's what you're getting at. Very very fair. And and what message? Let's let's look a little forward because we got to do this as part of the job. What message as a front office? If you're LeBron's team, what does that send to LeBron that does not care about tomorrow, that wants to win for the now, that needs a championship or bust? Because a good regular season and even an MVP doesn't mean much at all to him staying in Cleveland. So I I, I see a message to LeBron saying. We're gearing up with some youth for tomorrow when you go ahead and bounce because we're expecting you to leave. But some of that is LeBron. LeBron's done that, right? I mean, LeBron has created this where he, by by allowing the possibility of leaving to be the story of the season, all he has to do is come out and say, like, I ain't leaving. This is my home. I'm staying here. You guys fix it. 
none of this would have none of this would have happened. So I I'm not disagree. I completely agree with you that Cleveland is positioning themselves of hey we got some youth. Hey we still got that draft pick. There is a the sun will still rise in the east and set in the west even yeah. if he leaves. But a good portion of this is created by by the ambiguity that LeBron has approached the situation with. No, I agree. And, and Doug, we're going to look back on LeBron's career as this Michael Jordan documentary is coming out, and we're going to appreciate LeBron, the businessman, the behind the scenes. We're going to appreciate what he learned from the decision and the strategic way that he leaves Cleveland this time to where you're almost telling him, oh, LeBron, you got to leave. But guys like me, and you dig into the process and say, LeBron, you planted these seeds of leaving a long time ago, you know, but to the common eye, you're going to say, oh, he's got to go. It just makes sense. There's no reason for him to be in Cleveland. Nah, LeBron set this up completely all the way, man. It was, it was masterful. This was, this was, a, this was a masterpiece. This was, a, this was amazing. You're going to look back on, man. This guy is a businessman. Not only the, one of the greatest basketball players of all time, but the greatest businessman that we've seen actually play the game. Does he come to L.A.? Yeah, man, I've I've said championship or L.A., and, it, and it's safe to say that only option right now is looking like L.A. is a Laker. Ryan, dude, you're doing a great job uh, killing it over at ESPN. Really appreciate you coming on with us. Oh, man, anytime, Doug. I'm a big fan. When I think you're crazy, I'll just, I'll just text Ryan and tell him, you know, I want to argue with Doug a little bit, man. So, man, I, I appreciate your work, brother, man. Keep inspiring. Our next guest is an outstanding writer. He's really more known in the industry as a coach, coach AAU teams. He's uh, he's he's been a consultant to NBA teams, international coaches as well, um, and used used to write for ESPN.com. Now works with Flow Sports. He's David Thorpe. He joins us on the Doug Gottlieb Show. Uh, David, let's let's get to last night. What do you think the difference was? Was it were, were the Rockets that much different, or was it simply they just played harder? Well, I mean, they played faster and harder, so let's go with that, right? They they not only did they get into their half court possessions faster. I thought that Harden. It looked like on the Greek board somewhere in the locker room, uh, Coach Antonio wrote, "You know, get to the top of the key by now." That was quicker, and they just looked to race out on the wings. They could, get Capella running faster, rim the rim, and Harden through those head-to-head passes. And then there were much more physical dog on the ball. Like, like the Pacers normally play, that's not how the Rockets normally play. But last night, they definitely got under the chins of the Warriors, played much more physically, bumped cutters better, far better communication, uh, because they'll slip a lot of screens, the Warriors will, and, and run beer screens to confuse you. And they, so they just were so much more locked in and intense. And... Golden State was casual. That was a nightmare for the Warriors, that combination. So how replicable is that effort for Houston going forward? Oh, I think the better question probably is if, if, if I'm thinking Golden State's going to win the series, I'm, I'm really looking at uh, two things. How's Steph Curry doing? Because he's not doing great so far. And then the Iguodala-Draymond-Green uh, combination has been they just can't make a shot. So if you're not getting anything from those two guys, and Steph Curry isn't somewhere near all-star level, well, now you're Cleveland West. I think you play better defense. I understand that the Warriors do. But you can't just leave it on Durant against that team. 
The Rockets are number one seed for a reason. So I'm really looking at Curry and what he does in, in game three, plus like that Green-Negadala combination. They just got to start making some threes. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting. I, I point out, like, Draymond, he stopped even looking at him, right? I mean, he stopped yeah. looking at him. And the, the thing about the reason the small ball lineup works is you go back to the first year the Warriors won it was they weren't guarding Iguodala, and he made them pay. And then, you know, always Draymond has made just enough to keep you honest. Now neither are making them. And the court is shrinking around Durant, and you can you can stick to to Clay Thompson, and you're you're kind of stuck like glue to Steph, and being really physical with Steph. I mean, how, so how do you fix it mid? How do you fix Iguodala and Green mid series? Oh, it's a great question. I don't know. Uh, he, he, I mean, Iguodala was really just mailed in the regular season, and and so a lot of us were thinking, okay, let's see round one and round two. And, and sure enough, he definitely looked a lot more plugged in, which told us, okay, he just mailed in the season. Which, but, but this is a very different level, and I don't know that he'll be able to fix it. Your point on Draymond's very good. He, you remember this now. Remember this, Doug. It, 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 for a long time, the way people defended Golden State, uh, David Blatt did this initially to great effect through halfway through that first series four years ago now, where they just really hard-heads or even blistered doubled Steph on ball screens. And Draymond would short roll, and eventually Curry figured out in that series and beyond that Draymond could be a facilitator on the short roll, attacking down the middle, playing downhill, and they played from there. David Lee actually did a really good job in that series right. initially, and Draymond learned. But, but the Rockets just switch everything. And so, so Curry doesn't get any chance to play. He's not playing against two guys, and he's not playing against the air. He's playing against the guy all the time. And while Curry's a solid on-ball defender, He's the worst of their starting five guarding the ball. So that means the Rockets are kind of picking on him. I don't think they're singling him out only, but they're certainly not afraid with all their different weapons to go at him and, and bumping him all the time. Like you just said, it's, it's a process. This, this has got to be – we'll see what happens again in game three. But Kerr's got to be thinking, how do I get Steph Curry open more? That'll include probably more rim cuts, him using him as a screener and a shaper or a screener and, a, and then a cutter. Because he's got to start getting some easy baskets, and if that three's not falling, or they're in a lot of trouble. Yeah, it's it's fascinating how quickly things can turn. I do love the idea that the Rockets are like, no, we didn't do anything different. All right, let's go to to the Cavaliers. Um, how, how do they how do they fix themselves? LeBron spectacular early, then he kind of peters out, and the rest of the team is just beholden around help defense for LeBron so he can create a jump shot. They're struggling just athletically to guard the ball, struggling with the energy and depth of energy uh, off the bench on on the boards. How, how does Cleveland write itself? Yeah, well, so there's really two things to hit on. The first thing was they're up 11, 47-36, when LeBron took that, that totally innocent but still vicious shoulder into the jaw from, from a six foot eight, 200-plus pound Jason Tatum, and they got blown out from that point on, right? He just wasn't the same. Anyone watching could see that, especially on defense. He stood around a lot in their rotations, literally just standing around and not chasing things. And then offensively, I'll tell you this, he, he became like uh, Tom Brady as an athlete. What I meant by that what wasn't such a compliment. He was quarterbacking from the top instead of playing downhill with some exceptions. He, he's got to be attacking all the time. Then the second part is, those other guys don't have a trust, right? That probably is the bigger issue here, is they don't really have a trust with each other because they just haven't been together all that long. And so if LeBron's not superhuman, they really have no shot. And your point is very good. It's what I think. 
that at the individual matchup, forget about Brown and Tatum being 20 and 21. They're outstanding basketball players, athletic and long and strong and hungry, uh, smart as a beast. We know Al Horford's fantastic. This is, we've been underestimating the talent of this team because they were missing two all-stars. are really, really good, extremely well-coached and confident. Cleveland has to rely on their core. The answer to your question is the core group of guys that have been there a while, they need to just find a connection and a trust for each other. And then, and then LeBron's just got to play as hard as he possibly can on both ends. Or, or this series, I mean, they could get out 3-0 and it's over. Is, it, is that enough? Like, is LeBron everything he has? Is it, is it enough? Yeah, I, I don't think so. I, I think you're right. I think, I think it's fair to ask that question. Boston not playing so great, that's a different story. And let's be honest, Boston has not been so good. I think they're 1-4 on the road. So that this is so this is part of the issue is they're fantastic at home. Uh, uh, Cleveland maybe they can get uh, one game because Boston doesn't play great. But if you go down three one against that team, I don't know that Cleveland's enough to get back to that. So to me, you have to hope Boston doesn't play so well, which is possible. And but I still think that they have a good chance to split the series in Cleveland, which is what Boston really needs. Um, David Thorpe joining us, Flow Sports used to write for ESPN.com. He's a, a world renowned basketball coach, clinician, also a consultant, kind enough to spend some time this year on the Doug Gottlieb Show. I saw you get into some discussion on Twitter about some of the movement that you that we're likely to see in the offseason. If you're Boston, knowing what you know about the young talent under club control you have, do you move those pieces to go get a Kawhi? I, I think you have to consider everything. What, what Really, what I was trying to do on Twitter yesterday, which did you can always forget sometimes that it's not just people like you that follow me. It's the average fan who loses their mind every possible game. But GMs are playing games all the time. And so I basically posited the question, and I was w- waiting for someone to answer it correctly. Today, finally, someone did. Really, if you, get, if you can wave a magic wand, Doug, and, and not have to pay Hayward, and not have to pay Irving, let's assume they make to the finals even win a game or two. With this just group, without Kyrie and Gordon, well, now you're thinking, let's clear space. Let's, let these guys grow. We know we're good enough to contend without anyone. And now in two years, when, 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 uh, when, when someone like Anthony Davis maybe comes available, we got plenty of money to go get him. Because what you, have to, what you really have to do is decide, do I use these young guys to go immediately become the best team I can be and go get some of the others you could go after? Or do I give them oxygen, which is playing time and opportunities? Because let me tell you this. If Irving comes back at 18 shots a game and Hayward comes back at about 15 or so shots a game, that's 33 or so shots that those two young guys aren't going to get. And they need that, and more importantly, they want that. They want to get paid. They want to be all-stars. They want to see if they can't lead the league in scoring or be a first-team all-league player like Harden wanted. They're not just going to sit back and go back to being role players behind those other guys. It's going to be fascinating, absolutely fascinating to see. If you were the Lakers, you're the Lakers. The, the thing about LeBron is, obviously, he brings you credibility. He has incredible personal work ethic. He's a professional, and he, he feels like, like this feels like the perfect final chapter to his book, right? But if you're the Lakers, he, he doesn't practice. Uh, he really is ball dominant, and he doesn't move nearly as well defensively now. And, I mean, you got to think, three, four years in that contract, it ain't going to be great. Do you say thanks but no thanks and not actually truly engage in getting arguably the greatest player in the last 25, 30 years? Boy, see, that's, that's exactly my point. The GMs 
have to play these kinds of games and, and you know, just like any other business to do and talk it through, I, I would have serious discussions about doing just what you said, which is let's just keep building with what we have. We see what Boston's done. They went and got Al Horford. He, he was an all-star, but he wasn't in the, he's not in LeBron James's world. Uh, let's, let's, I, I love love talent. I think they have a lot of upside. Uh, I, I would go that route. I look at it this way. They've been dominated by such a, an, an egomaniacal superstar. I don't mean that in such a negative way, but we all know Kobe dominated everything and was fantastic. And, and, and before that, they had other guys. Man, it'd be nice and maybe fresh to not have to go through that once again because when you get LeBron, you are getting someone that's going to dictate everything. He doesn't want young guys. He wants the old veterans that he can hang with and, and he can trust that they won't ever do anything wrong thing off the court. Now, I think L.A., I think it'd be great to try something different and, and build a little bit instead of just going to get the next guy until all the peeps are in place to win immediately. Then, then maybe I would do it. You can follow him on Twitter. You can go to his website, davidthorpe.com. Of course, you can uh, check out his work at Flow Sports. Coach Thorpe, thanks so much for joining us and giving us all that info. You got it. Thanks, Doug. All right, that's it for the All Ball Podcast. We'll be back uh, next week reporting on the NBA Draft Combine. Of course, measurements are in. We talked a little bit early on about uh, Trey Young, measured out at six feet, only a half inch, um, doesn't have a 10-foot reach. So, like, look, he's a small, he's a smaller version of Steph Curry, and I think a less athletic version of Steph Curry, and everybody wants him to be Steph Curry, but... I, I, I see him going lower in the draft than where Steph Curry went. But it's going to be fascinating to watch. Fascinating. We'll have some NBA draft combine buzz. And we'll be closer and closer to the NBA finals. Or maybe we won't. Maybe we won't. Make sure you rate, download, and subscribe. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Doug Gottlieb. And this has been All Ball. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bed 365 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust 
into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. 